0: Good morning! It is indeed a wonderful morning. You might turn your Bibles to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 5. I'll get there in a little bit. I want to start out this morning by sharing with you a, an account I heard this week, uh, a missionary in Lebanon. And uh, she made the comment made the statement that she has electricity 12 hours out of the day and she is thankful for that but she does wonder how they're going to get through the winter Uh, when they'll have the electricity and when they won't and so forth in the midst of all that she got information from her family or friends in in the states And this is what it said. Um, You're invited to a baby shower for our new puppy. And somehow that story shows the opulence, the fluency that we are all under. And yet, as I meditated on that a little bit, the greatest thing, uh, we expect the food to be good. We expect the fellowship to be good. We expect the building to be comfortable. Uh, we come here in complete freedom. I mean, all those things are worthy of praise and thankfulness, but there's nothing compared to him, to the thought that's in the hymn that Zach just chose, that old rugged cross. I, I tell you, we gather this weekend There ought to be a joy in our heart that is just almost impossible to express. Because the truth of the matter is if I think I'm safe in saying this that if any one of us or all of us would look at our lives without Jesus it would be a total shameful mess. And Jesus died for people like me. And he made a way. And the Affluency is not a sin, but ingratitude is. And I think we ought to be filled this this weekend. We are gathering as people that know the Lord. Most services that are held in this sanctuary and many, many others, they have at least an element in them to call the lost to Christ, praying that the Holy Spirit will speak to them and draw them in. And that's always there, and it's here today. But really, this weekend is geared to the believer. It is a communion of those that know the Lord. It is a unity that is found only in Jesus Christ. And we come to celebrate. We come with joy. We come to honor him because he is, is worthy. That's what this weekend's about. I want to read just a few verses in this fifth chapter of Ephesians, starting at the 15th verse. And I just want to say before we ra- read this, we all know that we are living in evil times. We get to the point that we talk about it all the time, and you're probably like me, you a little tired of it. We, we know that things are deteriorating, at least in our nation, but as I talk to those who travel the world, I don't think we're totally unique. This seems like the escalation of everything that is evil is on the rise very rapidly. And so I, this is the reason I chose these several verses I wanted to read. Ephesians five fifteen: See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. So there needs to be a song in our heart. There needs to be a joy this weekend, especially, but always, but especially this weekend. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. There is no greater blessing, there is no greater opulence than what Jesus has done for us. Nothing compares. And so we're thankful this morning to be together. I know it's what we usually do on Sunday morning, but I don't know, I just feel, does anyone have a praise they would like to share this morning to begin this communion service? Is there anyone that has a prayer request? Is there a need? I'm going to open it up for your opportunity. And Jeff, I'm going to call on you to pray. Anyone? I just think we need to be praising the Lord. That in despite of all the evil and the failures... He has not removed his candlestick from this nation. And if anybody's going to praise him for it, it has to be his people. Let's honor him with that. Anyone else? I'm sorry. Marsha, I'm sorry. Butch's strength in the next few weeks. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to add one more request I'm not going to identify the young man some of you may know him but he contacted me this week and they have a child that is really going into open rebellion and he's broken hearted he and his wife so I just pray for that unknown child let's go to prayer Say. A few days ago, we were going to do something that we had never done before, at least that I ever remember. We were going to have a weekend communion service with only the old regulars. That would have been all right. We look forward to it. But uh, Clem must have got on the ball and he made a home run phone call. And so we are very, very thankful to have Jeff and Melissa Davison with us this weekend. Um, They are from the Garnett, Kansas area and uh, the home congregation is the Grandview, Missouri one. I just want to list their children here a little bit um, and I just want to challenge you young people that are here, include them. It's really important. Um, They've come and we expect to include Jeff because we're going to work the socks off of him, well as much as the will let us, anyway. But, but I want you young people to include their young people, befriend them. It's it really it is part of the fellowship of the communion service. If we miss that, we've missed the point of communion. So Cassie is not here. She's 19. Uh, Grant is here. He's 17. Claire is 13, but she. Uh, Well, she's going to be 13 on the 18th of November. She's awful close to her birthday. I don't know what we need to do about that one. Gabe is 10, and Chaz is 6. So we want to include them and welcome them. We trust that you will open your hearts and be praying in the spirit as Brother Jeff speaks to us.
1: Well, thank you, Brother Phil. And I have to say, I certainly feel included (laughs) <laughs> among you today appreciate that thank you for the introduction and for your comments as well it is a privilege and a blessing to be here we're looking forward to a good weekend and we're we're glad we came there's a little bit of anxiety that goes along with this but as we look forward to communion weekend together with you that's that's thrilling our heart today um, we're definitely glad to be here thoughts this morning I have i 'd like to to paint in our minds an, an, an image and place yourself this morning in a, in a cold jail cell with stone walls, iron bars, and you've been there for a while, and there's obviously something different going on today because you hear a group has gathered outside, and there's a solitary voice speaking to the group, and you can't really hear what's being said because you're too far away. But the voice asks a question, the mob cries back, your name out loud, cries your very name out loud. And then there's another voice. That same voice talks again. And again, the mob calls out for your death, a cruel death. And then that solitary voice starts to plead. And they call again more loudly your name. And again, more loudly for your unmerciful death. Then you hear the footsteps of the guard coming down the hallway. You hear the keys jingle beside him. Unlock the cell. the cell. Lead you out in your chains and you don't know where you're going, but you're headed back down the hall, and as you enter out there, you're enter into a place of a pavement. Your name is Barabbas. And on that pavement is Jesus, the Son of God. And the chains are unlocked and they fall, and you're free to go. And you know that you've committed many wrongs in your life, and you're worthy of what this Jesus is going to face. But you've been set free. Now, I don't know what Barabbas did with his freedom. The Bible doesn't really record that. But the question this morning is, what are we doing with that? We have that opportunity and more. We are spiritually set free of the bondage of sin. He didn't go back to his jail cell. He went out into the light forward and he was released. Now, I don't know exactly if that's what happened in Barabbas' life or not. But if you read through Matthew 27, it could be that way. You can imagine it that way. That was his experience of his release. Now the Bible says that all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. And not only have we failed to pay, but we can't pay. We don't have the capacity to pay. We're going through at home the, the words of the Lord's Prayer, and that's where this sermon comes from. And just taking different phrases of it and kind of trying to expound on them together. And this, this part is, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We sin and we are sinned against in this life. It's a reality. The Bible says that offenses come, that they will come. What a network we're in. What a web. We think of what I owe to God, what I owe to others, what others owe to me. Notice anything missing? What God owes to us. Nothing. But he gives. He has given his son fully and freely. And from that example... Our lives are impacted tremendously through the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ. As we read through the Lord's Prayer, the part of the prayer that is repeated by Jesus immediately after is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Matthew 6 is where the Lord's Prayer is found. We'll touch on it just a little bit before turning to Matthew 18 for a while. In verse 14, in repetition, I'll go ahead and read through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And then the very next verse, he says, For if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's powerful. It can seem kind of heavy, like a heaviness upon us. But really, I believe the intent of Jesus is for it to be more like, like a sword that, that, that cuts to the heart. Like a surgeon's scalpel that cuts to the heart with these words. Because it's important. And he wants us to draw from his example. That's why he has given his life for us to learn from. Let's turn to Matthew 18. We'll read verses 21 through 35 in Matthew 18. 21 through 35. Says then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. Before as much as he had not to pay, his lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, and all that he had, in payment to be made. The servant thereof fell down and worshipped him, saying, "Lord, have patience me, and I will patience with me, and I will pay thee all." When the lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him an hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, "Pay me that thou owest." And a servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. And when his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. And at this time, the rabbis had had, had a conclusion on how many times it was accepted to forgive your brother. They thought, well, three times, probably enough you do it three times. So really, Peter's being pretty liberal here. He's thinking that's going a little bit above and beyond. But our Lord Jesus Christ Cast out all calculations, all tabulations, all keeping track when he says 70 times 7. I don't think it means 490 times. Like We all believe that it's kind of like infinity times infinity to the power of 10 that you forgive men their trespasses. It's about perspective. This parable is about perspective. How we look to the Lord when we don't forgive fellow man. As this man wanted to take by the throat and throttle, there's an anger that can develop in our hearts and our life. The monetary comparison of what was forgiven of him and what he was asked to forgive is one in six hundred thousandths. If you figure out what was forgiven of the master here and what this man would not forgive of his brother, one in six hundred thousandths. Are we guilty of putting others into a debtor's prison in our own hearts and minds? Is repentance required for us to forgive? We may find forgiveness with God, yet when we forgive others, it is for our own heart and walk with the Lord. A lot of times we feel like, well, if we forgive someone else, they win. And that's the attitude we have. But that's, that's not what forgiveness is about, is it? It's about the freedom of our own heart. Of our own heart. Jumping ahead and I'll jump back. There's a thought shared that if two violins are in tune with the same grand piano they'll be in tune with themself, themselves. Oftentimes we try to tune our violin to someone else's violin or our life to another life, but if we tune our life to the grand piano, to the Lord, and others tune their lives to the Lord, we find harmony among ourselves. I thought that was just such a terrific, terrific example. That was very powerful in my life. This past week, I was blessed to be involved in a, in a seminar, short seminar for a few days, and there was a minister there from the Mennonite church, but he shared that he was from Nickel Pennsylvania. And of course we all know probably where that is, because it's kind of been put on the map in Anabaptist circles, where the, the shooter came through and, and took the life of young Amish children. And he said it was of course it was a big big deal. The news crew was all through and they they shared how these people are, are so religious they forgave. They have forgiven the shooter and it made the news and it was a great testimony. He said there was a minister that went to one of these fathers and, and asked him, he said, I appreciate your testimony. He said, now, now can you say, I forgive in the name of the shooter for killing my daughter. He said, yeah. I. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't say that sentence verbally out loud. The minister that shared this with us said it took six weeks for him to be able to say that sentence. And of course, the news had already been through. It was already out how, how great the forgiveness was in, in the depth of the pain. The lesson that we learned here is it's not that I'm pointing out hypocrisy of the man, by any means. It may have taken me six years or 60 years. I don't know. But, but do we as Anabaptist people, and we who have, who have read the word and we have such head knowledge of what is right to do, we know what's right to do, and we, we act on that, but walking the road is can be a different story sometimes, and that man learned that that day, and that was a that was tremendous to me. That walking the road sometimes is harder than than just the head knowledge. The heart doing it is not always the easiest thing. He did find repentance. He did, but it, it took longer. Whom does our sin offend? We know sometimes sin or offenses can, can affect a lot of people. There's earthly consequences. We think of David and Bathsheba and it was told to him the sword shall not depart from your home and it didn't. Think about how David had to live knowing that Bathsheba knew that she was manipulated. She was married to her husband's murderer and the consequences that came from that. But think of the example of Joseph as well. And when he was caught in temptation, what did he state and what did he say? You know, oh, Potiphar's wife, we can't do this. Think of Potiphar and think of, Potiphar, think of you know, your mother and all the people that would be impacted by this and that could cause a lot of cost. He said, how can I do this and sin against God? And, and even any, any transgression of that way, I'm not just pointing that out for example, but any transgression of the heart or, or malicious thinking or evil, it's a transgression against God first and foremost, is it not? And and we need to acknowledge and recognize that. It's, it's, it's paramount for us to find, find forgiveness. And we realize that if God only, oftentimes the question we have is if God only forgives those who are repentant, why are we forget, required to forgive all, whether they are repentant or not? Well, what is God's heart? He desires for us to be like him. Second Peter 3 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Is it safe to say that forgiveness is not made or obtained by our repentance, but found? God desires for us to come to the foot of the cross, to be repentant, and that we find that forgiveness. Romans 5.8 says, for God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. We have that verse on a sign in front of our church, and I have loved that verse. It's It covers covers a lot. It's very powerful. Christ has a heart to forgive, even while we are sinners. His his desire was that we would find fellowship with him again after the fall. What happens to our sins when we confess them to God whom we have whom we have wronged? Micah seven nineteen says, He will turn again, He will have compassion upon us, He will subdue our iniquities. And will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Brother Mark had a sermon some time ago in our home congregation. The difference in iniquity and sin and transgression. And if I, if I got it right, sin kind of covers both iniquity and transgression. Transgression is action. Iniquity is thought. The thought of sin. And we may have a few, iniqui- few transgressions. We probably have more iniquities if we're honest with ourselves. And Micah says he will subdue all our iniquities. And will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. We think about how large the sea is. Literally an ocean of mercy that's described here. Literally an ocean. They say if you take Mount Everest and cut it off at ground level and invert it, I don't know about the size of it, but the height, you could bury it in the Pacific Ocean because there's a crevice in the Pacific Ocean that is deeper than Everest is tall. That's how large the sea is. That's kind of a metaphor for God's ability to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions. In the verse before this, in Micah says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He delighteth in mercy. This ocean, this ocean is the cross, brothers and sisters. It's the cross of Christ. We think of how our sin separates us from God and we cannot eternally be with him. There has to be a place where sin is not for sin to go. And I believe there's two places. There's, there's hell that was created for Satan and there's the cross of Christ. The Bible says as Jesus was being crucified, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? We think of the physical part of the cross and that's what we focus in on so much It's the tip of the iceberg. It's just that tip of the iceberg. And that phrase, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me is the whole rest of it for Christ, the suffering that he endured. It was worse than bigger. I believe in the physical. I knew a man that once carried a spike with him in his, in his study. And when he was having a difficult time with fellow man, he would take that spike out and hold it, in a rail spike, to remind him of the cross. I have a scene in my mind, I don't know if any of you have watched The Passion of Christ, it's been years since I have. But when he's being crucified, and you hear the, the cold steel on the cold steel... And the cry out of his heart, My God, I'm sorry. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he's looking up and he's saying, They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. That's his heart. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the ocean of mercy from which we we draw from to forgive others. That's the ocean that Mike is talking about. And we think about how large that ocean is and how much forgiveness is acquired one little handful sometimes of what is actually refreshing to offer forgiveness to other people. All the handfuls that we could draw, out, we could spend a lifetime and we would never run that ocean dry, would we? We'd take a lot of handfuls. There's plenty of mercy offered Christ as the source. And our relationships are the benefit. Our eternal relationships are the benefit of that. A new commandment I give unto you, Jesus said, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Forgiving others frees us from bitterness's evil root and from gall's evil poison. John MacArthur described it well. He said to forgive another is like to take an arrow and to launch it so high and so far, and with such velocity that you could not possibly find it again. That's what it is to forgive. Now, it was shared in Matthew 18, the 70 times seven number of times we are to forgive our brother. And this week it was shared with me as kind of new thought. It's possible that it's the same offense that comes up in our mind, that we forgive over and over again. There's a phrase, forgive and forget, and I believe that's how the Lord does, but we as men... We struggle with that quite a bit, don't we? To totally, completely forget. But to understand the blood of Christ covers it. If it comes up in our mind, now that's under the blood of Christ, I forgive that sin. I forgave that. It's, it's done. I've, I've forgiven that from a fellow man. It might be multiple. It might be the same, same one coming up. Brother Mike Brubaker, would you look up Psalm 32, verse 5? I'd like to have it shared soon, and I don't have it written down. 32 5 Psalms. How can I know that I am forgiven? Remember, Joseph, our sin is first a transgression against God before it is a transgression against fellow man. I'm going to read Psalm 32 5. Thank you. I acknowledge. It's not hidden. I confess. That's the path to find forgiveness with God, to acknowledge it. How often we are so scared of the shame, more than we are empowered by his promise to forgive. The forgiveness should be what we desire and delight so much, and so, so much so that the shame is, is not really, it's something we want to put in the past. There's examples of God's willingness to forgive all throughout his word. Those were the words of David. And some say it took him a year to come to that point after his transgression. To say, I've confessed, it's under the blood, I acknowledge it, it's it's, it's cared for. think of confessing our sins often we think and worry, well, what if I miss one? (laughs) What if I miss one? I guess I've thought that a time or two. Am I forgiven if I've left one off? The Holy Spirit will convict and bring it to our conscience if it's deep enough. But it's also been shared the thought of pray without ceasing, continual act of connection with God. If we live our life with with a confessing spirit, I really believe it's possible there's minute things we don't really know, we're not aware of, that are covered if our heart is under the confession of sin to God. We don't need to worry ourselves with, with drawing every little one up. I can get a little anxious that way. I don't know about you, but Now, what if there's one little thing somewhere I don't see? If it's big enough, God will bring it to our conscience. I trust that. And if it's not, it's covered. It's covered by the blood of Christ. Think of the depths of the sea. There's plenty of room. There's mercy. The Bible also said, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed thy transgressions from thee. Think if you go north, eventually, after a while, you'll be going south again. If you go south, you'll go around the bottom of the earth. You'll be going north again. But if you go east, you're going to always be going east. It doesn't matter if you go around and around and around. You're always going east go west it's the same thing so as he sets our sins eastward and our souls westward or vice versa they're continually going apart continually going apart farther and farther away continually being separated on and on and on Isaiah 118 then says come now and let us reason together saith the Lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be as wool Proverbs 28:13 also challenges us who he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Second Chronicles also says, For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. Well, think of Peter's denial and Peter's redemption and the anguish that he found himself in. We're not going to go very deep into that, but you understand the, the thought of what happened. The, the hour before Christ was his, the hardest hour of his existence the cross, Gethsemane, the sins of man, the separation from God. He never knew that and never would again. But for that time, he was separate from God as he turned his back on him for the moment so the sins could be covered. That's that's my belief on that, our belief on that. And here, Peter was denying him right ahead of that, one of his closest followers. I never knew him. No, I never knew him. The Bible says when he, the cock crowed the third time, he went out and he wept bitterly. And we, we so appreciate the restoration of Jesus. He came not saying, I told you so, you know, remember what I said, complete forgiveness right away. That there's, there could not have been a of pride in Christ, and we know there wasn't for him to have done that. But also the thought of Peter's bitter weeping, can we forgive ourselves? We might think, well, I've, I've gone through this offense, and I, I know they've forgiven me. I know God forgives me, but I cannot forgive myself. For example, I like to you can or you can just think about holding your right hand up in front of you. We think of shaking the right hand of fellowship a fellow man and there's there needs to be really peace for that to happen. Hold your right hand in front of you and try to shake your own right hand with yourself. I'll watch. Go ahead, I'll watch. You can't do it, can you? And it's really not our place to forgive ourselves. It's our place to trust that God has forgiven us. It's not our place to forgive ourselves. David Jeremiah shares a little about that. He says he gets, he gets a little harsh with members of this congregation that come up to him and say that. I can't forgive myself. He says, well, I tell them, is your plane of forgiveness higher than that of God's? And think about that. It's, it's imperative that we realize that we are forgiven. It's not something that we do. To we can't, I can't gain my own favor in heaven. I can't forgive my sin. Understand that God has forgiven us and that's, that's enough to impact our heart and to set us free. And to set us free. We began with a courtroom scene where mercy was given. Go back to that. Don't leave Jesus on the pavement. Go before the cross. Embrace him into your heart and into your life. Job talks about righteousness as covering him and it clothed him. Covering him and it clothed him. The old prophets would often wear a mantle that was oversized for a purpose because they were to understand they were too small for the work. The work was bigger than them. Job says, I I put on righteousness. He was looking forward to the preexistent Christ and it clothed me. We look back in the same manner. Put on the righteousness of Christ, his forgiveness and his mercy, and it clothes us, it covers us. And with that thought, I would like to close with one verse in Hebrews. It is not our boldness that we come before Christ. It is the Christ, Christ's mercy and the forgiveness through him. And it says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God add his blessing.